there and welcome. This is Amanda, the founder of Astrology Hub, and you're listening to our week ahead snapshot with world-class astrologer, historian, and author of the cosmic calendar, Christopher Renstrom. This show is designed to give you a quick overview of the week ahead, enabling you the gift of choice in how you navigate and weave these energies into your daily life. Enjoy. Hello, my name is Christopher Renstrom, and I'm your weekly horoscope columnist here on Astrology Hub. And this week, I wanted to talk to you about the Mars-Saturn conjunction taking place on April 4th. Now, I have to be frank with you. Astrologers always get nervous around Mars-Saturn conjunctions. That's because Mars and Saturn are known as the two malefics in astrology, malefic planets. Now, there's a difference between the benefic planets and the malefic planets. The benefic planets are regarded as Venus and Jupiter. And so benefic planets, as you might imagine, because you sort of can't help but associate the word benefic with benefit, The benefic planets bring good things into your life. So Venus and Jupiter, whenever they're in conjunction or trining or sextiling or going over a particularly powerful uh, angle in your uh, horoscope, they are sure to bring good things in your life. They're sure to bring benefits uh, and good fortune. Mars and Saturn don't work that way. Now, that isn't to say that Mars and Saturn are going to bring dreadful things every time that they uh, come together in the sky or, or uh, form some sort of adverse aspect to each other or, or take on a predominant placement in your own chart by transit. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be that they're going to bring bad things, but they are going to bring some kind of disappointment or some kind of setback simply because what you had your sights on in terms of a hope or an aspiration or an expectation is not going to be fulfilled in the way that you wanted it to be. Okay, this is uh, the way that Mars and Saturn work as malefics. They're the ones who are basically going to take the uh, air out of your tires, or they're going to thwart you, or they're going to combat you, or they're going to take what was meant to be a good intention and turn it into something hellish. These are things that are bound to happen when Mars and Saturn are very powerful in the sky. But there's a little bit more to Mars and Saturn than just that. Mars and Saturn are also the planets that push us to do more than we would do comfortably. They're going to push us to do more than we would do habitually. They're going to push us to do more than we would do in terms of a dream or a whimsy or a hope. Simply put, Mars and Saturn are going to make you work for it. Now, when Mars and Saturn come together in the sky in a conjunction, like they do on April 4th, that means that the two planets are, are, are conjoined. They are right next to each other in the sky. And as I believe I discussed last week, a conjunction between planets doesn't mean that they merge and meld their energies. It means that they are standing side by side. They are working together 
basically as one sort of statement, okay, in your, in your chart. Mars and Saturn conjunctions, as you might imagine, are going to change their disposition and their intensity, um, their heaviness and their lightness, uh, depending on what zodiac sign they happen to be traveling through. Um, so a Mars and Saturn conjunction, for instance, in Aries is going to have a very different behavior than a Mars and Saturn conjunction in Cancer. Um, this week, the two planets will be conjoining in the zodiac sign of Aquarius. And this is very interesting. This is very remarkable because uh, one of these two planets, which is part of the conjunction, happens to be the planetary ruler of Aquarius, and that planet happens to be Saturn. So in other words, and Mars and Saturn are coming together in the zodiac sign of Aquarius, but it is Saturn who is given the greater significance. It is Saturn who is given the greater weight of the two planets. Just to kind of make a point, if Mars and Saturn were coming together in the zodiac sign of Aries, it would be Mars that would be given the greater weight. It would be uh, Mars that would be given the greater dignity uh, in that particular uh, astrological sign. So Mars and Saturn are coming together on April 4th in the zodiac sign of Aquarius. So what does that mean? What, what, what is that all about? Well, Mars and Saturn conjunctions have a tendency to be very heavy handed. Okay. Uh, that means that there's um, that, that whenever they're doing something like, well, let's, let's talk about Aquarius. We're talking about Aquarius. We're talking about Aquarius, Christopher. Okay. So let's talk about Aquarius. What happens is that the qualities of Aquarius that can be the most severe, the qualities of Aquarius that can be the most unforgiving, um, the uh, qualities of, of Aquarius that can be the most relentless. These are the qualities that are being brought out. All right. Now um, Aquarius uh, is, is one of those zodiac signs uh, which is kind of misunderstood in the popular imagination. A lot of people think that, think that uh, Aquarius is all about being hippy-dippy and hanging out and trying on alternative ways of living and uh, tune, uh, tuning out and uh, tuning in and dropping out in society. Okay, the, this is all kind of paraphernalia that was attached to Aquarius because of the late sixties. And, 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 and I think, as I mentioned before, um, be, because of the Broadway hit uh, Hair, which was very popular at the time. Uh, there was a song called um, Age of Aquarius, which was popularized by uh, the fifth dimension. Uh, so, so so they popularized the song. It went further than Broadway and hit the radio waves. And everyone was singing about the moon is in the seventh house and Jupiter aligning with Mars. And this is the dawning of the age of Aquarius. So everyone naturally thought that, you know, Aquarius was the hippy dippy zodiac sign. What they don't really uh, understand or, or, or knew evidently at the time is that Aquarius is anything but. Um, Aquarius is a Saturn ruled sign that also sometimes surprises people. Uh, Saturn rules two zodiac signs, that's Capricorn and Aquarius. And of the two uh, Saturn ruled signs, uh, Capricorn is an earth sign and Aquarius is an air sign. Despite Capricorn being associated with the mountain goat and wanting to you know, climb mountains and, and climb higher, it's Aquarius, it's Aquarius who are the elitists of the Zodiac, okay? So with Aquarius, you naturally look up 
Uh, one of its planetary rulers is Uranus, which is uh, Father Sky or, or Vault of Heaven. Um, and so the idea of admiring the stars, you can't help but look up. And so Aquarius is always about high, getting high-er. Now that doesn't necessarily pertain to recreationals, but it's the idea of high. Of, of, of always looking higher or further up uh, than, than uh, is your normal day-to-day -day existence. So there is a sort of leticism that is built into the zodiac sign of Aquarius. Aquarius being an air sign is also associated with things like ideals and principles, things that we try uh, to honor in our lives, things that were mapped out by Plato and then elaborated upon by Aristotle, uh, things like just and truth and love, you know, these eternal principles that exist in a dimension uh, that is different than our own, or, or at least they exist in a plane that is higher than the plane that we live in. And anything about trying to access that higher plane and live from your higher, highest self um, is Aquarian. Aquarians are always about living uh, living according to your highest self or living according to principles. Now, Aquarius also has, uh, because of its air, uh, it's, it's an air sign, uh, because of its uh, air element basedness is, is, I don't know, like, because it's an air sign. Okay, let's put it simply. Because Aquarius is an air sign, um, it believes in rules, laws, um, and regulations. Okay, so it believes that in 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 that that the universe is ordered. Okay, and th that the universe uh, is is ordered, and the universe works according to systems. Um, even perhaps uh, it could be said mathematical systems. So I'm not saying that all Aquarians believe that God is math, uh, but many Aquarians put a very strong emphasis on the rational in their lives, on the um, mathematical and the abstract in their lives as, as these principles that uh, we are always striving to reach either intellectually or spiritually in our lives to make ourselves better people. Uh, there's a kind of mistrust of the physical element uh, as far as Aquarians are concerned. Uh, you, you, if you're an Aquarian, you never want to give in to the lowest common denominator. You always want to stand on principle. You always want to stand by the highest truth, even if it makes you un popular in the moment, you will be vindicated given time, either in the future or history books or something along those lines. So, so mathematics is something which often appeals very much to Aquarians because um, you don't get into um, emotional disputes over math. You do the equation and you, and you arrive at the answer and there it is. You've got math, you've got architecture, you've got order and Aquarians can now sleep at night. Okay, so, so there's this sense of, of things being ordered and that perhaps if we were more ordered in our um, existence or in the way that we approach decisions or the way that we lived our lives, we would probably live more peaceful and more, I want to say, I'm, I'm going to use a word I don't even know. So, okay, we would live more peaceful and we would live more ordered lives, uh, lives that would be dedicated to the happiness of everyone on the planet and not just us. Another axiom, which is very uh, uh, like a cornerstone axiom for Aquarians is the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Um, so Aquarians always believe in doing what's best for everyone involved. 
So you have this idea of doing what's best for everyone involved by uh, living by certain principles or certain virtues, which are governing principles. They are governing virtues. They lift your sights up out of you know, your needs and wants and appetites and, and hostilities and put you on a higher plane. And so the idea is to then take that higher plane that you can envision and see and, and, and practice in your life and then apply it to your day-to-day existence. So Aquarians aren't really trying to escape uh, the planet. Some of them might say, what are you talking about? I'm always trying to escape the planet. Okay, but most Aquarians are actually trying to take what they see as this great plan um, and apply it to life. In other words, principles and virtues are useless unless you find a way to apply them to your, your life. And so that's the great Aquarian challenge. That's the great Aquarian enterprise. Okay, so it's not just to go and be abstract, although many of them can sound abstract. It's not to go and recite mathematical formulas, although many of them are involved in the sciences and will recite mathematical formulas. Um, they're, 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 but what they're trying to do is that they're trying to do that to benefit mankind. They're trying to do that to benefit everyone in their lives. So this notion of abstract, this notion of um, living according to a higher self, and also in regard to the Aquarian, it's living toward, uh, according to a future self. Okay, the fire signs are all about being authentic me, you know, me, who I am right now, how I show up, this is who I am. And um, Aquarius, really different than the other air signs, Aquarius is really invested or committed to the future self, okay, the best self that you're going to be that doesn't exist yet, that self might show up in 10 years or 20 years, but you you are living, you are living your, your life in, in respect and in honoring your best self, which isn't here yet, it's in the future. And it's also living in a society which is the best society, which isn't here right now, but you're living for that generation that hasn't been born yet. Okay, this is a very Aquarian type of thing. Um, you know, again, what we call kind of like abstract, per, uh, abstract principles. And so it's the idea of the abstract principles and bringing them, bringing them down to earth. Saturn in this position, um, Saturn is often seen as a kind of a stifling planet uh, because it is a planet that is uh, associated to test trials and tribulations. So Saturn um, oftentimes can be depicted as being very um, stifling or very unspontaneous or, you know, almost like choking out the life of any sort of creative enterprise, you know, it must be done according to these rules, these laws, this mathematical formula, uh, we will not abide by any sort of spontaneity, you know, these are the things that can be uh, associated to, to Saturn, and Saturn can indeed be that way uh, at certain angles, and, and in certain uh, zodiac signs. But what happens with uh, Saturn in Aquarius, because Aquarius is the sign that Saturn rules, you really see the, um, the, the heavenly aspect of Saturn come out in, in, in Saturn and Aquarius. Uh, in mythology, we all know that Saturn is over, overthrown by um, his, his son, Zeus or Jupiter, um, as, as we know in astrology. And so Jupiter is, is often a, a, a planet that's um, associated with benevolence and Saturn is associated with severity or, 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 or punitive, even, even sort of punishment. 
But what's and, and what that ties into is that it's the overthrow of Saturn that actually begins the mortal condition here on the planet below. That's a story in and of itself. But but time starts again after um, Saturn has stopped time. Time starts again when Jupiter overthrows his father. Okay. And actually the reason Saturn swallowed his children was in order to stop time. And it's during the period of time when the Olympian gods reside in the stomach of Saturn that we have, at least according to the Romans, the golden age uh, when mankind was at its best. Um, and so Jupiter overthrows Saturn and, and makes him vomit up, you know, his brothers and sisters and Jupiter sets up Olympus and that sort of thing. But ever since then, time has been going downhill. The Golden Age has been followed by the Silver Age, the Bronze Age, and everything's just been kind of like worsening. But, but Saturn's job after, for instance, mankind loses its immortality, we know this from Adam and Le Eve, for instance, the story of Adam and Eve, um, Saturn's job was to teach people who had once been immortal, okay, Adam and Eve's, and there's a story in Greek mythology in which mankind had once been immortal. Okay, Saturn's job is to teach people who had once been immortal how to live as mortals. Okay, so in other words, Saturn's job was to teach you how to make the most of your resources in this world. This is why Saturn and Aquarius is all about bringing the abstract principles down to your day-to-day -day life and applying them to your day-to-day -day life. In Capricorn, you see more of that physical industry and exertion and, and rags to riches story and things like that. But Saturn in Aquarius is more, um, how, do you, how, how do you bring those virtues and principles down from the heavens into your day-to-day -day life and build a better world? Okay, so this is, so, so Saturn's mission, really, um, to teach you how to live in this world and to make the most of your resources, this comes out actually in its most constructive um, expression in the zodiac signs of Capricorn and Aquarius. Okay. Um, so it's so so in order to do this, Saturn has to first of all bring everything, you know, level everything down to the ground and then rebuild. And if you've noticed our lives under Saturn in Capricorn and Aquarius since 20 uh since 2017, that's exactly what's been going on in our world. I mean, everything has been sort of like shut off or locked down or or raised to the level and is now being rebuilt into a new um, image or vision of the world, whether that's positive or negative, the jury is still out, but that's what's going on on a global uh, theatrical level. And that's what's going on in a personal level as well. So Saturn Aquarius, that is the mission of Saturn Aquarius. Saturn Aquarius believes that society is only as good as the people who live in it. Okay. And that um, it, it is up to you to really embrace the highest of yourself in your life. Now, the whole idea of embracing living your life according to principles or living your life according to virtues or living your life according to eternal truths. I want you to think about that for a moment. I mean, it sounds lovely on paper, but when you think of it in terms of your day-to-day -day interactions with the boss, with an employee, with a neighbor, with a loved one, with a friend, with a frenemy, with an enemy, okay, when you think of it in those, in that day-to-day -day context, I want you to sort of sit and appreciate the enormity of that test. Sit and appreciate the enormity of that test, of that challenge, of that trial, and of that tribulation. 
um, we live in a world of combating vision, of competitive visions of what's supposed to be right for everyone and what is supposed to be an eternal truth and, and what is supposed to be um, an everlasting uh, principle. We have very competing views of that. That began with the Tower of Babel and it's gone on in our most recent incarnation of the Tower of Babel where no one can agree, uh, where there is no universal language anymore. No one can agree on what a fact is or a truth or whatever. So we're going through a babbling Babel right now. And so, so Saturn in Aquarius is this insistence that you live according to this higher principle, this, this, this virtue, that you try to find that in your life and you bring that to the table. When it combines with Mars, uh, which is the conjunction, when it combines with Mars, you get an insistence on living according to these, these standards, these very, very high standards. And then I want you to combine it with the word persistence. Okay, you get a persistence. So with Saturn in, in Aquarius, you have an insistence, you have a stubborn insistence, right? Because Aquarius is a fixed sign. So, so Saturn in Aquarius is a stubborn insistence and you combine it with, with an unrelenting persistence, which is going to be Mars. So, so you can sort of imagine, I mean, we're heavy on the adjectives here, but you can sort of imagine there that there is a kind of like excruciating rigor that's 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 coming across here. How do we put this in layman's terms, normal terms, normal talking to people terms? What this can be is exacting standards. What this can be is unfor unforgiving expectations. What this can be is um, the, the, the drive to realize expectations to go further than, than you feel yourself capable. Now, a, a, a Saturn-Mars conjunction is kind of easy to, to interpret right away because it's, it's going to go in one of two directions, either natally in your chart or by transit. Um, a a, a Mars-Saturn conjunction is either going to be a freeze Okay, where um, where you know you're you're striving, but um, Saturn is slamming down the brake, so it's you know, so it's either like freezes. Okay, it's like I want to take action and I freeze. Okay, oh my God, my elbows on the desk for 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 extra emphasis. Okay, so so Saturn and Mars is either a freeze. Okay, that that you know I I, I want to act but can't, won't stop. It stops right there. Okay, or or you never stop, okay? <laughs> so with the Saturn-Mars conjunction, you either freeze, you stop before you begin, okay? So it's like, uh, and that can be like, I have, I, I've got such high expectations that I can't even realize them or I get tangled up in, 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 the, in, in, in the pursuit. I, I stop right, right before I begin. Or once I get going, I don't stop, all right? So once, once, once I've started something, you know, once I've committed my life to these high standards or these expectations, I am not going to stop. You know, it's like computing a formula, a mathematical formula, or, you know, I, I'm not a scientist, so I, I don't understand all the scratching on the boards and the iPads and things like that. But I know that in science fiction movies from the 1950s, they do a lot of scratching on the boards and things like that, or even Beautiful Mind, they, they scratch on the board and things like that. And, and, and the mathematical formula kind of like possess their minds and, and they can see these things and, 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 and the mind never stops. 
That's the flip side of a Mars-Saturn conjunction. Okay, so it's either you 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 freeze in place, you know, because it's like you know, or you you never stop. You, it, it just it relent it's relentless. It, it keeps on going, and so. Um, and, and what it is, is that it's a commitment to the pursuit of excellence. Okay, so either you're going to be the type of person, if you have this in your chart, in which um, you can see the excellence and you're like, oh my God, I have no idea how I could possibly realize that. And so it's just, you're, you're, you're haunted by it. You're, you're handicapped, you're, you're, you're choked by that, by, by that vision. Okay, or it comes into you, it possesses you, and you just cannot possibly stop. Okay, this is this is the way that it's going to manifest. This is the way that it's going to show up. Um, now, I will also be honest with you about another aspect, uh, which is talked about, or another another face, which is talked about with the Mars-Saturn conjunction in Aquarius, and it does have um, a reputation for being heavy-handed and ruthless, especially in its exercise of authority. Um, there, there's an absolutism. You always have an absolutism whenever you're dealing with the fixed signs, okay? A, a potential absolutism. I mean, because they're fixed, they can go extreme. But with Aquarius, you can sort of get a real absolutism. It absolutely has to be this, okay? It absolutely has to be something that we can't predict, that we can't possibly attain, okay? That can be an Aquarian thing as well. Like these expectations are so high and these standards so exquisite that um, there's no way they can be attained. They're so absolute in their eternalness, you know? They're so absolutely removed, okay? So there can be that kind of quality. But what can also show up personally in, in a Mars and Saturn uh, conjunction in Aquarius or even in a natal chart is a cruelty. Um, and I bring that up because it's what, what happens is like, it's not a maliciousness, but it's a cruelty based on severity, on, on being too severe. Um, and because there isn't enough of an earth or a watery component, it's very air. It's very like, well, this is what it, how it's done according to the rule. This is how it's done according to the law. This is how it's done according to the principle. This is how it's done according to the math. And so nothing else um, can fulfill that. Um, nothing else approaches that. So it can be so rule-oriented or principle-oriented that there's no, you know, the law doesn't show mercy. You, you if, if you broke the law, you broke the law. So there's no uh, compassion or mercy brought into the circumstances that might have been going on at that time or, or what you were facing in your life. It's, it's an absolute recital of that law. Um, all air signs can do this. Aquarius can really do this. It can become really quite extreme when you have Mars conjunct Saturn and Aquarius in this particular uh, position. So it's the idea of perfection that is superimposed on the human body itself. Okay, it's the idea of perfection that is superimposed upon human life itself. And that might sound a little bit like, wow, you know, kind of like heavy or like, wow, autocratic, you know, or, or something along those lines. It's, it's we're, you're taking this idea of what life should be and you're su superimposing it on the body, you're superimposing it on day to day experience. Um, so, so I thought long and hard about what would be a really good example of this, you know, I mean, obviously science comes to mind and, 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 and the world according to science where everything can be worked out. And if we don't have the answers yet, that's only because we haven't figured out the right questions. And so that's the eternal pursuit of, but, but with science, for instance, there is an absolute belief that there is a systematic 
way of understanding the universe. We may not understand that system right now. And brilliant science, scientists leave blanks in their equations, you know, to be filled by future generations. But there is an absolute belief that there is a systematic or, 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 or a systematic, that the universe can be explained systematically. Um, this is very different from what we're going to experience, for instance, with Neptune and Pisces. Pisces is the realm of mystery and it's the realm of um, divinity, but, but divinity as it expresses itself through mystery. As you can imagine, it's the flip side of the coin of, 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 of science. But I was thinking very long and hard about um, this Mars-Saturn conjunction in Aquarius. And what I sort of came up with as an example is the art of ballet. Um, of course, I'm going to talk about ballet because my, my husband runs a ballet company, but, but I've been around ballet for, for a great many years, enough to um, sort of know it a little bit, but forget it. I, I cannot talk to you technically about it or, or, or anything along the, those lines, but I, I've been around it enough, uh, long enough, and for several years that I've seen many, career, many artists come and go, careers-wise, and, 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 and fulfill themselves or or in some cases not fulfill themselves. And that's part of what I wanted to talk to you about. Um, with ballet, particularly ballet in America, and, and so much of ballet in America is really, um, uh, ballet in America has a sort of mixed response. On one hand, you know, it's seen as being very beautiful and lovely and glamorous. Um, and then on the other hand, it's seen as being psychotic, okay, because of Black Swan, okay, which is like, the most hysterical, brilliant, like movie. Okay, I love Black Swan. I love Black Swan. Okay, it's like I love Black Swan, and and the only good ballet movie that was there before Black Swan was Turning Point. Okay, and then the only movie which is like fabulous ballet movie that's there before Turning Point is Red Shoes. Okay, you have to see Red Shoes. That's a story for another time. Anyway, um, yeah, I mean, Americans sort of see like ballet is like lovely and glamorous, and also like psychotic Black Swan. Okay, but. But the thing about, but ballet is also seen as being very elitist, all right? It's, it's, it's an art form that comes out of Northern Europe and it's seen as elitist. And nowadays, you know, there's a lot of question as to whether ballet is relevant anymore and, and does it still speak to people and who goes to the ballet? So it's seen as elitist. It's seen as kind of like um, a feat. It's precious, you know, people speak in mime, you know, and, and all these sorts of things. And why would you go to the ballet and, and stuff like that? Um, I hear this constantly, not in the the lobby of the theater though because everyone at the ballet like wants to be there but you know when you're talking about ballet out outside and things like that oh you know they'll go on about things like that um but but ballet went through this extraordinary revolution in the 1940s here in america when someone by the name of george balanchine uh basically reframed ballet and george balanchine was an aquarius and george balanchine was uh an aquarius with saturn in aquarius by the way and and george balanchine is to ballet what picasso was to modern art now he wasn't the only choreographer just like Picasso wasn't the, the only artist. There was, uh, you know, a guy named Matisse, you know, or 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 or, or Monet. Uh, but but um, and and there were also uh, rival choreographers with with Balanchine as well, like uh, Tudor and and Ashton, for instance, are the two ones that really come to mind right off the bat. Um, but but the thing about ballet is that it is precise. Okay, it is it is mathematically precise. Um, and, and this you have really with Balanchine. Um, the body has to move and hit these angles and it has to form and make these shapes. 
And uh, there's also a particular body type uh, which is involved in ballet. And until very recently, it um, or yeah, pretty pretty recently, until recently, it was kind of like the domain of Caucasians, you know, type of thing, uh, which is interesting because you actually have breakthroughs in opera taking place earlier, like Leontine Price in, in the 1950s and 60s, but ballet, it's sort of like, I mean, you've got Dance Theater of Harlem, which was extraordinary, and 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 their work is extraordinary. I mean, they're just like, but anyway, but ballet pretty much in the popular imagination was seen as being white supremacist European all these sorts of things. But nevertheless, there was still a love for it and there still is a love for it. And one of the most exciting things that's happening in ballet right now is not only are you seeing much more people of color involved in ballet, but there's been this policy to get rid of the pink tights and to set up flesh colored, flesh tone tights so that you have, um, you know, black and brown uh, dancers, dancers of color with legs that match their faces, okay? Before you would have uh, black or brown dancers and pink tights and it's like, what were you supposed to do with that? But now, you know, you've got black and brown dancers and dancers of color wearing tights with, with, with color with with legs that match you know their body their flesh tone tights and everyone's in them actually it's all shades of it's all shades for all for all uh, ethnic backgrounds it's it's um a movement that my husband followed in the footsteps of dance theater of harlem with and he really was a forerunner of it uh here and right now it's taken off and so it's universal you know you see it in all these dance companies but nevertheless there was always this kind of like you know, this, this uneasiness around the insistence of taking an abstract shape and superimposing it on a human body. Um, and, and, and it brings about two reactions. You know, one reaction is like how hideous, you know, that you're, you're making the body move in ways that it shouldn't move. And this is causing injuries and dancers indeed live with injuries. Okay. That, that go on way past their career and, and that they will live with for the rest of their life. So like, why would you do that to a human being? And then on the other hand, there is the artistic experience, which is, um, unlike anything else. Uh, when you are watching a wonderful ballet performance, uh, wonderful because the company's wonderful, the dancers are wonderful, wonderful because the performance you're seeing you will never see again in your life, okay? It's not a movie or a film or something you download on Netflix. When you sit and see a performance in the stage, that's the only time you're going to see that performance, okay? And the dancers know it, and they'll 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 either they'll be like, eh, I, I put in a crummy performance tonight, or it's like, you know, I pushed myself and I went further, and you're just like, oh my god. So 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 there's that thing where um, dance can become like uh, like Olympic sports, where you just you're just going to see that outstanding performance that that you had to be there to, to see it because it's never going to show up in your life again. And nothing, 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 nothing compares to that thrill and that immersion uh, in a performance, in a, in, a, in a live performance, which is like when people wipe out, you know, you sort of forgive it because it's like live theater, but when they're involved, you're, you're really involved. And so, so here you're watching people um, who since children, since they were children, um, most of them have put themselves through the paces of taking this abstract expectation or standard of excellence and superimposing it on their bodies. 
And you see, and, 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 and ballet can be very unforgiving. I can't tell you how many um, girls have started out beautifully in ballet and then they hit adolescence and their body grows in the wrong way, you know, and, and so they, they, they don't have that shape or they don't have that line and it's cruel. There, there's no two ways about it. It's cruel. Um, or, or, you know, the body fails in some way. Uh, uh, there have been dancers who, because they landed wrong in a rehearsal. I remember this one dancer, she landed wrong in a rehearsal and it was a typical thing. It was not even a big movement. You could hear the crack. You could hear the crack through the studio. And she just sort of like without expression said, I, I, I can't stand. And she, she, you know, she had landed and she's like, I, I can't stand up. I, I don't even think I can move. And it was just completely like there was no emotion or trembling or whatever. And she, she, she sat on the ground and, you know, they examined the leg or whatever. It was a career ending injury. That was the end of her career. Okay. So, so this is a sort of career in which the standards are very high. They're very unforgiving. Um, and yet, and yet everyone who joins this career, everyone who engages in this career, there, there is this drive. There is this drive to push as far as you can go. There is this drive for excellence and being in that excellence. It's something that, for instance, Olympic athletes also um, understand when we watch them, you know, kind of emerge once every four years and, and see that, you know, and again, it's going to be based on, on how they perform. So when you have this Mars and Saturn conjunction in your chart, um, you're either going to be living with this great, like, I know it could be a excellent if I could just unlock the emergency brake, or I am going to be excellent, but as soon as I attain that excellence, it can always go higher. Okay, so so the thing that 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 Mars and Saturn can do that's devilish is that as soon as you accomplish something that's great or wonderful, that means the bar has been raised higher. And this is this is based on Mars because Mars is so competitive. You know that that bars that bar can always be raised. You can always you can always go for a. The whole notion of excellence is that it's not. Excellence isn't monogamous, okay? <laughs> um, excellence isn't isn't uh, something that can be achieved once, okay? When you when you hit a standard of excellence, what's written into that is that it's going to be broken. You know, your record will be broken by someone else who follows you. And so, when you're living with this kind of dynamic in your chart, either by 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 transit or natally. This is something that you really have to commit yourself to, despite the loved ones and friends who are going to be saying, take it easy, lay off, like, you know, it's not that big a deal. You live with that kind of intensity. And if you don't answer the intensity, you live with that kind of frustration so that um, hopefully at some point in your life, you can unlock and unknot that frustration and it can move forward into that kind of expression. But again, the expression is such that, um, you know, once you've unlocked that, it's not going to stop. There will be in, in, uh, there will be a combination of, of pursuit and insistence in your life. So, so this is something that I want you to think about when these two planets uh, come together. What is your reaction to excellence? Is it a standard of excellence? 
do you see it as something which is uh, somebody else's standard, you know, somebody else's unfeeling standard of judgment, um, and and they're and they're being heavy-handed with you, and 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 they're maybe even stifling or snuffing out your your expression. I mean, not everyone who in service to the pursuit of excellence is excellent. Okay, um, it can actually bring out a, a lot of uh, personality types that can be very um, driven and 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 cruel. They can be too severe, you know, severe to the point where it's crippling. And if that kind of severity severity is existing, where it's to the point of crippling, then that's no good. Okay, because. There, there's no uh, pursuit and, and reaching for something that's higher. It's been, it's been stifled by, by cruelty or severity. Um, you know, so, so there's that, that, that reaction or relationship to it. There's also in um, having unlocked it in yourself. Um, I, if you want to torture a ballet dancer, okay, put them in front of a mirror. Okay. That, that will torture a ballet dancer. Okay. Like we all think, oh, they're looking at themselves in the mirror and being vain. No, what they're doing is that they are looking at themselves in the mirror and they are scrutinizing every little part of their body and they are memorizing it because that mirror won't exist when they're out on stage and they have to like download that memory, that body memory and that vision memory of what that shape looked like when they're performing on stage. Okay, you want to torture a ballet dancer, put them in front of a mirror. Okay, so, so the thing is... Um, you know, where are you with your pursuit of excellence in your own life? Um, are you working compassionately with that? Are you on your side with that? Or has the pursuit of excellence become an excuse to be overly critical of yourself, to be cruel or mean to yourself, or to be cruel or mean to other people? Okay, so, so the thing is, whenever you've got this conjunction in Aquarius, the, the aim is to better humanity. The aim is to better uh, society and people as a whole. But Aquarians have been known in the past to be a little dice dodgy with their means to an end. Okay, so it can be like I'm being mean or I'm being severe or I'm being overdisciplinarian to bring out the best in you. That, that for instance, you can hear the Mars in that. Okay, I'm being mean for your own good or I'm being tough on you for your own good. You can hear the Mars in that. And then Aquarius removes the idea of, um, of, of physical fulfillment and, and puts you in line to realizing an excellence that, that is high higher than your physical nature. So you put those two things together and you can make a very strong case for people being really mean to one another and, and putting them through the paces. So you have to sort of balance that with what you feel you are capable of. Um, and then the last part, which is what can you live with? You know, we, we all want I don't know if we all want to strive for excellence. Um, and, and I'm not sure excellence means the same thing to more than two or three people in the room. Okay, so, but but a lot is done in, in the name of striving for, for excellence. Um, some of it uh, bad and some of it good. Okay, but at the end of the day, it is a question of what can you live with? You know, um, did, did, did you feel like you gave it your best shot? Um, is excellence something that you'll pursue and never get there? And that's the whole point. And maybe that's even the whole joy, you know, um, that in my pursuit of excellence, 
I'm always experimenting. I'm always discovering. I'm always playing around with things in order to make it better. You know, um, there, there can be a tremendous freedom to the pursuit of excellence with something like that. But then we also have to remember, and it's why I bring up ballet and even Olympic athletes, there's a tremendous cost because in air, in, in the element of air, it's the pursuit of that excellence that, 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 that um, you know, I, I, I hit it, okay? But if that means that my body's going to be injured or in pain for the rest of my life, well, okay, I, you know, I did it in service to this. And again, that, that could be part of the thing as well. So I guess what I'm trying to say is um, let yourself be excellent. Mm, let yourself pursue excellence. No one is born excellent. See what that pursuit of excellence means to you. Um, see what you get out of that, if that even you know resonates with, with, with something in your life. Um, but also remember that you're never going to get there, okay? You're never going to hit that point of excellence that's going to last forever. That's not what it's about. But, but in your striving for it, in your striving for it is a story. And in your striving for it, and your striving for it is a story and a discovery. Your weekly horoscope is brought to you by Astrology Hub. If you'd like more extended personalized guidance from Christopher by Sun Sign and Rising, make sure you subscribe to receive the free weekly horoscope delivered via email to your inbox each Sunday. Just go to astrologyhub.com slash horoscope and start receiving even more free personalized guidance today. That's astrologyhub.com slash horoscope. And if you love what we do and would like to support our work, please subscribe to the podcast, give us some stars, and if you feel inclined, leave us a review. It does so much to help us get quality astrology out to the world, and we're grateful for all the time that you take to do this. Thank you for listening in today. And as always, thank you for making astrology a part of your life.